0: Welcome to the Commish Wrap-Up Show. I'm joining you here on a Friday afternoon, talking a little bit about For the Fame, but mostly in defense of my man Juan Soto, who's been receiving too much slander in our group me chat, so I wanted to have a conversation and stoked the flames a little bit more. And tell you why Juan Soto is one of the greatest players in baseball right now and possibly could be one of the greatest baseball players in the history of the game. So thank you for joining me here on the Commission Wrap-Up Show. The show starts next. Like, oh, yeah. no, so Alright, thanks for joining me guys here on this Friday afternoon. I was going to be recording possibly tonight or Saturday morning with... Not much to talk about, just a little bit about the news in baseball and about some of the updates going forward for the draft. We did have a poll that passed and updated our scoring settings, so that was cool. Not too much of a difference, but we up stolen bases based off of the feedback I have gotten from some of you. That was something you were looking forward to and possibly discussing It got done pretty quick. We had everyone vote aside from one person, so that one person that didn't vote, I'm not sure who you are. But I will find you and figure out who you are because we want everyone voting in the, in the polls in the chat and having their voice heard. So I know that six people voted yes, so it passed. So the stolen bases will now be worth 0. 0.45 instead of 0. 0.30, so not a huge difference as discussed in the chat. It, the stolen base leaders in a full season, I believe Malik Smith was the leader in 2019 in the American League. And it added about six points to his point total, so nothing crazy, but it does add a little bit more value to a stolen base, especially as, as it becomes more rare. So let me get to why I decided to hop on here while I had an opportunity, and that's Juan Soto. So with the perfect segue to this is talking about the 14-year, $340 million deal that the San Diego Padres struck with Tatis, I think it was about two days ago, Um that means that Juan Soto has to be next. And with young superstars being locked up at a young age, I'm sure Ronald Acuna is kicking himself for accepting that deal that his annual value is like $7.5 million a year, while someone like Tatis, who he's comparable to, maybe even better than Tatis, is getting uh, 24 a year. So that leaves Juan Soto probably ready to accept an offer and the Nationals ready to extend him to have him stay as a National for his whole career. So I honestly think the Nationals should take this chance to offer Soto, who led the league in batting average on base percentage, slugging percentage, um, to offer him a huge amount of money now and because it may take a lot more to keep him in Washington when he becomes a free agent because he's going to be wooed heavily by a lot of teams that want his services. Um, So obviously the parallels between Tatis and... And Soto are there. They're both 22. They both would be free agents after the 2024 season. And the teams that have them, both semi small markets. San Diego has, uh, they're the one team in, in Major League Baseball. I mean, the one team in all of sports in San Diego now that the Chargers left. And the Nationals, they're not the Yankees. They don't spend like the Yankees. Obviously, they let Bryce Harper walk. Maybe they didn't see Bryce Harper being the transcendent player that they thought he might be when he was kind of the young phenom that Juan Soto is now actually living up to, but both teams may regret it um, for decades if they let both of these players go. So obviously, the Padres, they're done. They have their guy, they have their window, and now's the time to get a championship. But for the Nationals, they have their championship with Soto, but he could be a transcendent star, and that's not even speaking in hyperbole. We haven't seen a player like him since Mike Trout, and he might wind up being better than Mike Trout. So, obviously, from the Nationals' perspective, the deal would be pretty simple. You want to lock him up for a long time, but it is scary. You know, nothing's certain. He could get hurt. There's an injury risk. Obviously, with Tatis, the style of play that he has, I think, in discussion we've all had, 14 years is a long time. And we watched a guy like Jose Reyes, who isn't probably half the player Tatis wound up becoming, even at a young age, his injury slowed him down. So what makes... Tatis so dynamic is the fact that he can stretch a double to a triple, he can cause havoc on the base paths, and if he gets hurt, the deal looks awful. But if he stays healthy and his trajectory continues on the upswing like it's doing right now, we could be looking at a steal for the Padres in the future. So I think the Nationals should try to do this with Soto. Um, they did it with Steven Strasburg, who's earning $355 million through age 37. So Strasburg is... Valuable to the Nationals. Obviously, they have a ring to show for it, but Strasburg is not nearly as valuable as Soto is to the future. So, I've spoken before, unless you're the Dodgers or the Yankees, you can't afford to keep everybody. We watched the Nationals already let Harper walk. They let Rendon walk as free agents. Trey Turner, he's coming up. He's not likely to be a Hall of Famer, but he's going to be hard to keep after 2023. So, who is the guy that's going to be your bit that you're going to build around in DC? So, Trey Turner. Um, you're not going to keep. But there's a lot of money on the books for a guy like Scherzer. Um, And Scherzer, I don't like to think about it, but Scherzer's on his way out. His velocity was down last year. Um, And so you're going to watch a guy like Harper go, Turner go, Rendon go. Scherzer's probably going to be gone after this season. And that's a lot of emotional baggage for the fans to deal with. So you have to build around someone. And why not someone like Juan Soto, who's 22 years old, whose trajectory is compared to Ted Williams, and I'll get to that in a second, the numbers are pretty shocking. And when I get into it, maybe you guys don't realize how good he actually is because of the fact he plays in D.C. and he does it in a way that's semi-trout-like, boring. There's no ebbs and flows. There's no controversy. He doesn't really slump. He's consistent. And I'll go over those numbers in a second. But it's important for the Nationals to lock him up. And I think Mike Rizzo, who's the GM of the Nationals, um, would agree that Soto's fabulous. He's someone you want to build around. Um, but that has to be done. And I think while the while Tatis finished his deal, this is the perfect opportunity to get it done. Obviously, there's an inherent risk when you take on a long-term contract for the player and also for the team. So Soto's risk is that he could... Outperform his contract, similar to Ron- what Ronald Acuna is doing right now, and be stuck in that long-term deal when you could be earning more. If you watch The Last Dance with uh, the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix, they focused a little bit in the beginning about Scottie Pippen and how underpaid he was, and the Bulls were unwilling to negotiate his deal despite his production. And you can't blame the team because, especially in a salary, the salary cap sport, it's. It would be detrimental to the team's construction to take Pippin's deal and change it around because he's unhappy with it. Listen, you sign the deal. Same thing with Ronald Acuna. Could the Braves rip up his deal and give him a new one? They could, but it wouldn't be financially um, smart. So the teams are under no obligation to restructure their deal, rip it up, and that's the risk that Soto's going to be taking. Same thing with Tatis. But the other part of it is both their families can be set for generations. Both of the players can focus on playing the game in a city that you're comfortable in and know that you're going to be there. And you're going to be someone that you are, someone that is built around in the franchise. So the Padres is going to build around Tatis. He's going to be the face of the franchise for the next decade and a half. Soto could be that guy for D.C. So will they do it? Potentially. And, but now is the time. I mean, as long as Soto stays healthy and nothing suggests he won't, he's going to be an absolute bargain at what Tatis is being paid. So if you lock him up through age 35 he'll probably have earned the exact value of his contract by the time he's 30. And then some. So just interesting to think about because I, I it just was like kind of ironic that we were all talking about Soto not being a top five player or some others in the in the chat were saying that, which I know Devin and I both disagreed, but I wanted to get on here and have a conversation. And then the, the Tatis deal happened. So it was like almost happened in synchronicity. What's also interesting to think about is the worth of a player, not even so much their how well they produce for their team, but how valuable it can be to have someone that is locked up, long-term and plays their whole career with one team. Guys that come to mind, obviously, Derek Jeter. But you got guys like Johnny Bench, Robert Nyao, Brooks Robinson, Joe DiMaggio, Jeff Bagwell, Chipper Jones, George Brett, Al Kaline. They spent their whole career, and they're synonymous with the brand, with the team, with the logo. And today, to this day, they still sell tickets. Even if they're retired or dead, you're still selling throwback jerseys. And that could be what Soto is. To the Nationals. That could be what Tatis... It will be what Tatis is to the Padres. He could be the next Tony Gwynn. Which is... Invaluable. Because they're still selling tickets. They could do a Tony Gwynn day even though he's long gone. And pay homage to him. So, I think that's interesting too. But if you look at the names that fall between... 75th and 125th in career total value... That's where Tatis and Soto will be. So they're not going to be just valuable because they've been there the whole career and they're like a Todd Helton where they're just kind of like waving to the crowd. They're actually really valuable for their franchise, valuable at a Hall of Fame level. So you got guys like Derek Jeter, Barry Larkin, uh, Gary Carter, Tony Gwynn, Ernie Banks. They're like in that conversation with those players. Soto is is in that conversation. So Juan Soto doesn't have to max out comparative to his, like all these greats, but he does have to get better. He can even regress and still have a couple off years, and he would still be worth the contract that he's getting. That's how crazy the production we're getting at an age 22 season with Juan Soto. So, it's just interesting to think about. But enough about the contract comparisons. I'm going to just talk about straight Juan Soto and why he is one of the best in the game right now. And in two or three years, he'll be better than Mike Trout. He'll be better than Mookie Betts. I truly believe that. And I would put good money on that. So I'm willing to go to bat for that. I'm going to give you guys the numbers and talk a little bit more about that in a second. Don't miss anything. i cigarettes on my bed. Only friends never rope in my all right, so let's stop focusing on the contract comparison with Fernando Tatis. I just thought it was like too appropriate to ignore. Let's talk a little bit about who Juan Soto is as a player and the comparisons that we're getting from not only people that are in the game, but just the sheer numbers of the projections. So if you buy into any of the advanced statistics and advanced, the advanced metrics, you can't ignore how great Juan Soto is at this current state at 22 years old. So we look at Mike Trout as the greatest in baseball right now, and he's doing it in kind of anonymity in Los Angeles or Anaheim, wherever they're playing. And his career is sort of being wasted, according to some people. He's playing on the West Coast. He's not ever in the playoffs. I think he has like one playoff appearance, two maybe. So it's kind of hard that we're wasting his great career. But sheer talent alone obviously can't drag a bad team. Towards the finish line. Baseball is a team sport. It's something that... It's not basketball. You can't put LeBron James on the Angels. Or whatever. Mike Trout on the Angels can't alone bring you a championship. And that's what LeBron does for basketball. That's what Giannis does for basketball. That's what Kobe did for basketball. That's what Michael Jordan did for basketball. Can't do that with baseball. He only has four at-bats, five at-bats maximum in a game. He can only affect certain plays. And he's excellent at the plays he does affect... But the other eight guys in the lineup and the other guys defensively, pitching-wise, the bullpen, starting pitching, they all have to be lined up for a team to be successful. And Mike Trout, it's not his fault. Nor is it ever going to be a great player's fault. And that's why we see some great players fall into situations that they're um, successful, that they win a lot, like Derek Jeter. But if you put Derek Jeter on a team that didn't have a supporting cast, didn't have the Um, the pedigree to win and just the surrounding talent around him, Derek Jeter could have played his whole career and not made the playoffs. And maybe we're looking at his career a little bit different because Derek Jeter, and I'm a huge Yankee fan, is nowhere near the player that Juan Soto and Mike Trout are currently. And that may be blasphemous for some of you guys to hear, but Derek Jeter's not even close. Juan Soto is already greater than Derek Jeter is. Hurts me to say it. But it's absolutely true. So who is Juan Soto? We obviously know he's the Nationals outfielder, who was the smiling face in the outfield when the Nats finally won a World Series. He's a 6'1", 185-pound player from the Dominican Republic. He was called up to the majors from Double A. I think it was, what year was that? 2019? Or 2018 was his first appearance. Um in the major leagues and he played 116 games. So he was called up in 2018, 494 plate appearances, 22 home runs, 77 runs scored with a war of 3.7. So that's his first year, not com- quite a complete season, but enough to make you open your eyes at to how great he actually is at age 19. So who is he right now? We know he's a great player. Well, maybe some of us do. Um, but he signed it as a 16-year-old in 2015. So he's part of the international class that the Nationals were scouting. Um, he didn't make his professional debut until June, until June 2016 in the Gulf Coast League. And that means he played his way through all the levels in Washington's minor league system in less than two years. So that's insane to think about that. He skipped AAA. Who skips AAA? Nobody does. He skipped AAA and went straight to the major leagues. So he entered the season in 2018 as a number two ranked prospect in the system. But then he, zoomed, he actually zoomed past Victor Robles. We know that he's a better player than Victor Robles. It's unbelievable. I think a lot of what's going on with Juan Soto is similar to the Mike Trout syndrome where he is so good, so consistent that it's considered boring. There's no cold streaks. There's no articles being written. What's wrong with Soto? He's, he's struggling. He's having an outburst. Uh, In the post-game interviews, there's no talking about that he's done. We think he's damaged goods like Jose Ramirez, like we did with Bryce Harper all those years, and even that they still do with Harper now. He's so consistent every year in the first three years of his career that it's almost boring. We don't talk about a guy who's consistently good all the time. Remember, Soto's 22 years old. In his first... 924 plate appearances, over 214 games. His line is 291, 403, 520, which makes him 42% better than the league average. So that's using WRC+, which is important to consider what it is. I'm going to look it up and give you guys a definition of it. So WRC+, takes the statistic, runs created, and adjusts that number to account for important external factors, like ballpark or error. It's adjusted so WRC plus of 100 is league average and 150 would be 50% above league average. For example, a player who plays his home games at a hitter-friendly course field will have a lower WRC plus than a player who posts identical stats at pitcher-friendly open coliseum. So does that make sense? There's a formula that you follow, all of that. But what it is, it's a, it's a tool for us to objectively compare not only errors, but take in consideration environment. So that being said... Juan Soto is currently among major league history through through age 20. This is actually this is these stats are from age 20, so this is not it probably even got better, but this is just based off the starts of their career. So the best hitters in major league history through age 20, minimum of 800 plate appearances. So the first 800 plate appearances through age 20. This list considers. and Remember, this is WRC Mel Ott is number one on the list. Juan Soto is number two. The guys that follow Juan Soto, Mickey Mantle, Ty Cobb, Tony Caligliaro, Alex Rodriguez. You have three all-time legends in Ott, Mantle, and Cobb. You have A-Rod, who deserves to be in Cooperstown, but obviously his off-field antics and all that blah, blah, blah is going to prevent him from getting in. Tony Caligliaro is on that list as well, and if not for a beanball that cut his career short, he'd be a Hall of Famer which kind of brings me to the first argument I had that you never know what could happen. <clears throat> Excuse me, Soto could get hit in the head. Hopefully it doesn't happen, and it can cut his career short. So you could be signing a guy who is only on the field for half of the deal you sign him. The only one to top Soto on that list is Mel Ott, and that's by a rounding error. He hit 511 home runs so long ago, he never even faced integrated pitching. And he retired a full decade before the Giants even left New York. So what does that tell you? So they they chose in this list 800 plate appearances because Soto has more than that and being productive over a longer period of time adds value. But if you want to cut it down to 400 plate appearances, now you're adding guys like Ted Williams, Mike Trout, Frank Robinson, Jimmy Fox, Rodgers Hornsby, and Ronald Lacuna Jr. So those guys, when you're in the same breath of those guys with objectified stats, you know you're doing something well. So even if you don't buy into the advanced stats or whatever, it's hard to do, dismiss the greatness that is Juan Soto. So, for example, this is not just me speaking in a vacuum. MLB writer Mike Petriello wrote this uh, an article entitled, This Young Star is the Next Ted Williams. And I'm clicking on the link now. And this article was written on December 5th, 2020. And I'll give you guys the synopsis coming kind of, I looked at the article and took out the most important parts but what it essentially is saying is that it's measuring best OPS plus through age 21 so that's not really an advanced stat that's a stat that's kind of considered old school or traditional just on base percentage it's on base percentage plus slugging so whatever it is a traditional stat it's not it's not the whatever complicated advanced statistics so Best OPS+, plus, which again is on base plus slugging, through H21, which is a minimum of a 1,000 plate appearance, so I wouldn't say it's a small sample size, 166, Mike Trout, 161, Ted Williams, 157, Jimmy Fox, 155, Rogers Hornsby, 153, Ty Cobb, 150, Juan Soto. The guys that follow him, Mel Ott with 146, 145 is Eddie Matthews, 144 is Mickey Mantle, And 139 is Frank Robinson. Soto, Trout, and then eight Hall of Famers. Are you kidding me? Do you recognize any of those names? So maybe the most glaring difference between Soto, Trout, and Ted Williams is that Soto already has his World Series ring. The other two can only dream about it. Obviously, Mike Trout is stuck in kind of Anaheim Purgatory and most players have to buy a ticket to the World Series, Soto lived on the field and was a key part of it at age 21. So this is a quote from a uh, fan graphs, Dan Zabrowski, which is it's hard to say his name, but one of my favorite writers from fan graphs. This is a quote. No matter where the Nats go from here, the, first, the team's first priority ought to be locking up Soto's services with a very lucrative contract for a very long time. Whether rebuilding, retooling, or pushing in the whole stack of chips – Soto is a foundational talent any team can build around. I'm a fan of Bryce Harper, but he was no Soto. Wow. So that is someone who's very informed in baseball. Looking at the objective stats, Harper is not even close to what Soto has done at this young age. So keep in mind, Harper was always marketed as the greatest generational talent. He was even on the Sports Illustrated cover at age 16 as baseball's LeBron. And he's still hyped by the media in Philadelphia. Don't get me wrong. Harper's a talented player. But that's just his personality. And it kind of gets a little bit more attention because of the slumps we talked about, because of the fact he's inconsistent, and he's not really performing to the alleged potential. With Soto, he's a team first player. He hasn't had one Sports Illustrated cover. He hasn't. He hasn't even had an all-star at game invite, which is insane. It's insane. Maybe you believe Tom Glavin, who is a Hall of Fame pitcher. So he spoke with Topps back in 2021, um, the the release of the cards for Topps Series 1. And Ron Soto was on the cover of the cards, if you guys seen the pack. They just were released like a, a week ago. Um, but this is the quote from Tom Glavin. Not surprised. Heck of a player. I mean, look, when you talk about some of the play- the best players in the game and certainly some of the best young players, he's at the top of the list. Top of the conversation, Glavin said. Not only as one of the best young players in the game, but just as one of the best players in the game, period. Um, wow. Like Tom Glavin saying that. So Glavin's take is spot on, I would agree with. And he can speak from experience. He's faced one of the, some of the best pitchers in the 90s. And he's looking at Juan Soto today, and just because of his talent alone, he's saying he's the best player in baseball today. So, Glavin had a 22-year career. I think he knows something about seeing talented hitters. So it won't hold as much weight, but even the Nationals uh, hitting coach had said that he's probably going to go down as one of the best hitters in baseball history. So take his word for it or don't. But I found the comparison that Ben Clemens made January 5th, 2021 of Juan Soto to Ted Williams. Uh, They used the Zips projection, projection, which is um, a projection system that is unbiased and its ability to look at players objectively. So this is a a quote that Ben Ben Clemens has. Of course, Colin Soto, a playoff superstar, sells him short. His genius isn't limited to the postseason. He's simply one of the top five players in baseball, full stop. His combination of unparalleled batting eye, tremendous back control, and startling power exciting enough, and that's before considering the fact that he didn't turn 22 until this October. Quite simply, he's a huge part of the future of the game. Heck, Zips compared him to literally Ted Williams this earlier this offseason. So, wow. People forget that in the beginning of last year, He tested positive for COVID on the day that he was supposed to play opening day. He didn't play his first game until, I believe, August 5th. And really, the Nats never even got into gear, and the season was over. So the shortened season should be discounted. Devin and I spoke about that. The shortened season should not be considered um, in a lot of ways. But his numbers are nothing to to sneeze at. It actually was a good season for him. Um, But it was easy to forget their season in 2020 because of how up like it literally didn't even get started. They were defending World Series champions and never really had the chance to get started. So, but it wasn't Juan Soto's fault. He hit all year. And he literally looked like Barry Bonds. 351, 490, 695 last year. So the good thing about... Just throws, ...pitchers throw strikes to him. And he's learning to do that over the course of a short period of time. Obviously, he's only been in the league since 2018, and 2018, 2019, and 2020, as time goes on, he's able to learn and become a better hitter in a short period of time that most players take a long time to do. So the fact that he's doing it at such a fast pace just shows that his potential is unlimited. So lastly, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, projections and the tools that Not only do baseball front offices use, but any person can have access to these tools if you just know where to find it. So many of you are familiar with the website Fangraphs, and I feel a little bit hesitant to let you guys in on this secret if you don't know about it already. But they do advanced projections for as far as about three years out, and what they do is they have four different types that are very similar in what they come up with, but they're a little bit different. They, they measure uh, different categories and different statistics and different qualifiers to come up with their finalized line of stats. So looking at Juan Soto's projected 2021, they Fangraphs has something called the Bat, the Bat-X, ATC, Steamer, and Zips. Some of you may see Steamer, when you watch um, MLB network's top 10 or top 15 or top 20 of every position they do the analyst top um, top stars or top of position and then they do the steamer with and MLB network calls it the shredder but it's called the steamer or whatever it's the same technology anyway the projections for Juan Soto's 2021. And we'll see how accurate it is when the season's over. And usually it's very accurate. I've been following Fangraphs and this technology since about 2019. And it's been pretty on point with what they're projecting. So for 2021, with the Steamer, I go with Steamer and Zips. I'll go with Steamer's first. They're projecting he plays 150 games, has 651 plate appearances, 39 home runs, uh, 109 runs scored, 114 RBIs, and 12 stolen bases with a projected war of 5.7 so they're projecting a 301 batting average a 4.26 uh, on base and then a 5.91 slugging percentage which is down from the 47 game um, shortened season that he had 6.95 I don't think 6.95 is otherworldly that's steroids Barry Bond level Barry Bond's level but the fact that it is um, above 500 for the most part every year shows you how talented this guy is um, to compare what they think Trout is going to be doing. So, Trout has a projected war of next year of 7.4. So, he's a little bit, he's projected a little bit better than Juan Soto. But as time goes on, those projections uh, start to actually f- favor Juan Soto. So, I'm going to go to the Zips projection, which they have all the way out for three years. So, I'm clicking on the Zips 2022, and they rank the players based off of mostly war, is the. Um, what you can sort them by. Um, But what they do is they actually list the players in terms of who they believe will be the top player in the league. And as of 2022, they believe that Juan Soto will surpass Mike Trout. Whether that is going to be true, hey, who knows. But the thing is, eventually Mike Trout is going to get older. He's going to slow down, believe it or not. And someone will become... A better player than him it may not be this year it may not be next year but maybe 2023 is the year that Soto starts overtaking Trout's spot as the best player in all of Major League Baseball so that being said how does this all tie into fantasy Alicia is keeping Juan Soto I was the one who drafted him I kind of cultivated him from the minors and don't forget that I did the same thing with Trout um, I eventually traded Trout to, a believe, Holder. And then Juan Soto I traded two years ago to Alicia in an attempt to get my first championship. and didn't pan out, but I did trade him for Garakol, which I think worked out. Garakol got me to the semifinals. Um, and I would do it again, but it kind of stings to not have Juan Soto because I could potentially have Fernando Tatis Jr. and Juan Soto as my keepers. But alas, I don't. Maybe Alicia will throw him back into the pool eventually because maybe she believes he's not as good as like like the rest of you guys believe. Um, I'm going to pull up the keeper list for one. So I believe he's a 10th round pick for Alicia, but that could be wrong. I'm going to pull it up quick just to confirm. And he's going to be following the tiers. Yeah, he's a 10th round pick. So she kept him the same year I kept Fernando Tatis Jr. So following this year, he's going to go up to, I believe, a 7th round pick. Um, but she's getting supreme value out of that pick if she continues to keep him. He will not be a first-round pick till I believe 2024, and that is an awesome value. Juan Soto is going either first or second in most most drafts. Um, maybe they take Trout ahead of him. Maybe they take some people are taking Mookie ahead of him. Others are taking Ronald Acuna. You can't go wrong with any of those players. But I believe that the most consistent two players, especially in fantasy baseball, when you're looking for day-in-day-out production is going are going to be mike trout and juan soto and yeah so i'm looking at the projection so if you have a 24th round pick which is what juan soto started out for alicia then it goes to thir- 13th the next year then the 10th 7th 4th and then the first so he will not be a first rounder for another three years so that is great value for alicia if she decides to keep him throughout the next three seasons and why not i mean Perrier has kept Trout throughout all of this. I think Perrier has has kept Trout since he got, he drafted him that first year when he was eventually lent back into the the pool of free agents. Um, Just to review, just a little bit of that update that I was talking about before, about the stolen bases. It's not gonna be a significant difference, but I want you guys to be aware of it and just understand that it will affect the player's worth. A little bit so it may make a player like trey turner a little bit more attractive trey turner is going in the top 10 in most leagues i don't think the extra .15 per stolen base is going to make him that much more attractive uh as far as a top pick but it may make him more valuable and who knows maybe we have a renaissance of sorts of stolen bases and speed with all these players that are um, playing the game a little bit more aggressively on the base path so That could definitely play a big part in the 2021 season. And I'm looking forward to seeing how it pans out and how it affects the stand-ins and other people's draft strategies. Just to backtrack a little bit about the Tatis deal, I know I said I didn't want to talk about it anymore. But um, I think it's very important to understand that the Nationals are going to be aggressive in trying to either appease Juan Soto to stay and eventually want to sign long-term. Like he, he got Josh Bale and Kyle Schwarber and surrounded some more protection for Soto in the lineup for this year coming going forward. And then Trey Turner, obviously, um, is locked up pretty long-term for them. Um, so the Nationals are going for it, and they are taking advantage of the fact that they have a generational player in their lineup with a lot of support around him. Um, as far as the money goes, 14-year, $340 million for, for Tatis. That means that I, I would say that Soto has to get a little bit more than that. As far as per year. Um, what that looks like, if they're going to sign him for a 14-year deal, I'm not sure. Maybe they go with like a 10- or 11-year deal. Or maybe they just go cut in the middle and do like a 7-year deal um, for half that money with more per. That's something they have to decide. But rumor has it that um, Mike Rizzo, the GM of the Nationals, was talking about Soto um, in the context of Tatis's deal And this is what he had said in quote. So we signed, developed, and brought Juan to the big leagues in a very, very short order at a very young age. We see him as hopefully a national for a long, long time, but we're still in the early stages of discussions. We had some discussions with him on a long-term deal last spring, and they didn't go very far. Since the COVID season of 2020, we haven't really re-engaged on that. So who knows where that stands for them? Who knows if they're going to be trying again? During the season, maybe they won't, maybe they'll try again in the offseason. They have a little bit of time before he becomes a free agent, but the clock is ticking. And as he puts up more, better numbers, as he continues to develop as a star in this league, he's less likely to take a deal that is team friendly. So Rizzo might not be able to sit back. He can continue to add, add pieces to the lineup and pieces that will help them win to appease him, but inevitably, Juan Soto is going to want to hit the free market and collect on his talent. All right, so we're moving towards the draft with the season in sight. Teams have reported for spring training. We are getting ready for the season that will be, and hopefully it's a season of 162 games. Hopefully it's a season that eventually we'll see fans in the stadiums. Um, I wanted to go over the week one matchups. The schedules are finalized. All the team, I, I think I let you guys know that, but um, if you look at your schedule on the website, everyone is there. So let's take a look at the matchups for week one. Not that anyone has teams yet and all that, but it's exciting to look forward to see who you'll be playing for the first week of the season. So, for week one, I will be playing Travis, whose team name is To Be Determined. My team name is Patsy Klein Drives, which um, I enjoyed. So, hopefully, you guys enjoy it yourself. Perrier will be playing uh, the two time champion, Greg, whose name is Nebuchadnezzar. So, I looked it up, it's a Babylonian king um, that's talking about regaining his throne. So, I think some symbolism from the two time champion. Ready to get back and revisit a season that saw him losing the championship against Karen. So let's see if Greg can get back to the to the top of the hill. I think he definitely can. He's shown every year, like we talked about in the season preview episode, that Greg is someone who wins all different types of ways. So you really can't predict how he's going to draft or what his strategy will be because he finds different ways to win every year. Last year he was able to find Shane Bieber. Or I think the year before, he was able to find Shane Bieber and use him to ride. And you have an ace that carried him through when he didn't have to waste the high draft pick. So when you find a guy like that, a diamond in the rough, it allows you to have more depth on your team. And Greg is always one of the deeper teams. The other matchup is Devin. Long story short, nice little play on words for his now main piece Trevor Story, who's looking to get his way out of Colorado versus classic lip luggage. Then we have Down South, Collar G, Jimmy, versus the defending champion, Karen, who both teams are returning with their names, Kazasaurus Flex. And then we have our first matchup ever, replacing Matt Boxell in our league, Just Shea, Nick Cambria versus Alicia. She said she's changing her name from Victoria's Victoria's Secret because of the stain of losing that's stuck on it, but I have yet to see the change in name, so we shall see if she'll change her name. But that should be an interesting matchup to see if Nick can get off to a great start in his first week of being in for the fame or can alicia set the tone and be like i'm back i'm back in this league i'm ready to compete again because it's been quite some time since alicia has been relevant in our league people forget that alicia is a two-time champion a back-to-back champion she was a force to be reckoned with and she has not been able to get back in the playoffs since 2016 um ever since she she won three straight pennants 2012 2013 2014 and she has not been back since so, looking at the years that she's hasn't been in the playoffs, 2017 she went 7 and 15, 2018 she went 5 and 16, 2019 she went 4 and 17. Last year she went 1 and 6. It's there's got to be a way that she can get off of this snide. There's got to be a way that she can rewrite the shit, rewrite the the script and refocus the ship. Whatever whatever euphemism you want to use, Alicia needs to fix this because she took what was once a promising franchise, and was once a very proud championship-level franchise, and she has not been back in the playoffs. And this will be the fifth year if she misses the playoffs fifth straight year. So that's not that's not what you want, especially when you have um, only ten teams in the league. Uh, so the other playoff, the other playoff drought that is. Alarming has to be Bazada, who has not been in the playoffs since 2018. So that's two years. If he misses the playoffs this year, it will be three years. That's not very um, Michael J. Bazada-like. Uh, Jimmy has not been in the playoffs since 2014, so he's looking to get back into the into the the playoffs. Travis has not been in the playoffs since 2018, and obviously Nick has yet to get a crack at our season. So it shall be interesting to see how everyone drafts, and, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm looking forward to the season. I hope you guys are too. I hope you guys are enjoying the baseball talk and the group me chat. I think the chat is more livelier than ever. I think it's been really fun to have uh, another voice in the league. Obviously, there's been some managers in our league that just ignore the chat and don't engage. doesn't seem like Nick is that way. Nick is someone who um, has been active. He's been texting me about preparing for the draft asking me questions he's also been very active with his opinions in in the draft which kind of prompted me to talk about this Juan Soto um the Juan Soto stuff which again don't take it as I'm like dismissing your opinion I I wanted to I wanted to use the platform to engage and you guys may disagree with me you may say sabermetrics are a bunch of bullshit and that Juan Soto you you could tell by Watching him play, that he's not this transcendent player that I'm trying to frame him out to be. And maybe you're right. Maybe at the end of the day, you will be right. But I'm willing to have the discussion, and this is the platform I wanted to do it on. It's easier this way. And if you'd like to come on here and argue with me, or you would like to just put your rebuttal in the chat, I'm open to that as well. That's kind of the point of me doing this. I hope you guys really enjoyed listening to this. I had a really good time doing it. And I will definitely be coming back to you next week. This will be my weekly episode. Next Saturday will be the next Saturday will be the 27th. So we only have about four weeks left before the draft happens. Um, I will start getting more specific. I'm thinking about doing actual divisional previews for the, each of the divisions. So I may just do the NL East and the AL East and then do the NLS and the ALS and have a discussion about that. If anyone would like to join me on that podcast and have a discussion about what Major League Baseball is going to shake up out as as the season progresses. I'm happy to have whoever wants to be on. Um, The other podcast episode I'd like to do is I wanted to interview the champion, Karen. I wanted to have her on here. She keeps putting it off. I think she's scared of the confrontation. But nevertheless, I will not relent. Karen, I want you on this podcast. I want to talk to you. I want to see how you're feeling. You've been a very quiet champion, so much to the fact that Travis himself has said if I had that title I would I would let everybody know every single day ever since Karen had poured the beer or poured whatever I think she poured champagne in the trophy and it leaked she seemed to be quite the shy champion so is Karen just laying in the weeds not trying to talk too much and just go about her business like the Patriot way Um, or will she start to kind of start talking a little bit more shit as the season progresses And she starts to defend her title. Let's see if she can go back-to-back. It's a challenging feat. The only two people that have gone back-to-back, we obviously have Alicia who went uh, 2012 and 2013. And I believe that's it for back-to-back. I know Devin's been to three straight finals, but he only won one championship. But, you know, he's the Buffalo Bills, except he got the one. So... We have, a, we have a lot to look forward to. And, again, thank you guys for listening so much. I appreciate it. Um, give me some feedback on this. Um, I love all of you, and I can't wait to see all, you, all of you at the draft. Commish out.